LaDonna Applebaum has been a high-profile advocate to expand health care for quite some time. And the St. Louis County Democrat parlayed that passion into a successful campaign for the Missouri House of Representatives. Applebaum joined St. Louis Public Radio's Julie O'Donohue and Jacqueline Driscoll next on the latest edition of Politically Speaking. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. Hello and welcome to Politically Speaking. This is Julie O'Donohue. I'm your host. I'm doing this interview with my co-host in Jefferson City. Jacqueline Driscoll. And we are here with Representative LaDonna Applebaum. Representative Applebaum, is it your first time on the program? Yes, it is. Oh, wow. Welcome. It's good to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Um, So before we get started, can you tell me about the boundaries of your district? Sure. Um, The 71st district is Westport, Maryland Heights. Um, We go from 141 to the inner belt olive north to dorset and olive north to lackland okay well we're going to start out because it's your very first time on the podcast we're going to ask you a couple questions about you know your background Um, can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and when you initially got interested in politics sure i'd be happy to um well i was born in harrison arkansas um i my mom um and my dad divorced when i was like five years old and she remarried and that moved me to Springfield, Missouri. And uh, I lived there, you know, through high school and um, I never really thought that much about politics growing up. But once I turned 18, I I started voting and started paying a little bit of attention. Um, But uh, I went to school, uh, I went to college at the uh, University of Tulsa or Tulsa University, the the hurricanes, which has never made sense to me. They call them the hurricanes because they should be the tornadoes in that state. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and uh, I got my degree in sports medicine slash athletic training. And uh, I really enjoyed the helping people, helping people get better. And that led me to uh, working for a company in medical cells, um, doing orthopedic custom knee bracing and contracture bracing. And, um, and I, re- again, I really wanted to see people get better. Throughout that process, um, I started noticing how much we were charging for a, a custom knee brace or a custom back brace or contracture bracing. And I knew how much it cost for us to make those products. And I started realizing that I was part of the problem with our healthcare industry that we were charging so much for a knee brace to Medicare. And I just didn't seem right. So 
I had I had to get out. It was a lot more than maybe you were you you the cost of making the knee brace. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, what I'm saying is like we were billing Medicare like could be close to two thousand dollars for a knee brace that maybe only cost thirty or forty dollars to to make, but. You know, that's just the way it was. And, um, you know, yeah, I made some decent money doing that. But I, like I said, I think I was part of the problem. And w- one thing that I mention on a daily basis that I do not believe that health care should be for profit. You have said, uh, uh, it sounds like many times before, that you got uh, active in politics because of uh, your own health care issues. Um, can you talk a little bit about what what those were and why that made you act, you know, get politically active or pushed you to run for office? Yes. So um, in 2010, um, <clears throat> Tom and I found out that we were going to have a baby and we were so excited. And so we were doing all of the things that you're supposed to do, you know, picking out names and taking your your vitamins and all of that wonderful stuff. And uh, I, I had health insurance. And I'd had that policy for at least, uh, probably at least six, seven years. And um, anyway, sadly, I miscarried. So went to the doctor and the bills started coming to my home and I'm like, what is this? And the insurance company said, you were not covered for pregnancy. And I'm like, how is that even possible? How do you provide an insurance policy to a female that can have a baby, possibly have a baby, maybe not want to have a baby, could have a baby, whatever. It doesn't matter. How can you provide an insurance policy and not cover? So I was aggravated. And knowing that, I started looking for an insurance policy that would cover. And there was plenty of them out there. But the kicker was they were going to charge me an additional thousand dollars a month, fifteen hundred dollars a month, and I would have to wait a year. And at that point in my life, I didn't have time to wait if I wanted to have a child. So I just got so aggravated with the system that I canceled our policy altogether, which was honestly not a smart thing to do, but I did not want to give this insurance industry a for-profit company any more of my money. And um, so sadly, Tom and I did not have health insurance for quite some time. And when President Obama started um, pushing the ACA, I got really, really excited about it Um, for so many reasons, because, you know, women's health care was a big part of the ACA. And um, I lost, during that time, um, when we were going to healthcare rallies and, and, and being active, one of my friends who was also an activist, she 
lost her life to breast cancer. And um, I was devastated because of the current, at the time, the current healthcare system that we had let her go, pushed her off of the type of health insurance that she had. And she couldn't even qualify for Medicaid or Medicare at the time. So it was really sad. So that really motivated me to become even more of an activist for health care. I don't know if I would have actually be doing this if it wasn't for my friend Melanie. I, I, I feel like I walk in the halls in Jefferson City with her name on my heart. This is your friend that passed away from breast cancer? Yes. I know this is a painful topic, but do you feel like if she had had access to health insurance, she might still be here? Yes, I do. I do. So trying to push for the ACA got me motivated. And um, and then when I developed breast cancer myself, um, when the Supreme Court was hearing the ruling for King versus Burwell, where they were trying to decide if the subsidies were uh, constitutional. And um, so I was actively supporting that. And I was actually going through chemotherapy at the time. And uh, a group asked me to go to Jeff City and lobby for not only Medicaid expansion, but also, so you know, lobby for the ACA. And I was so happy to do that. Even though I wasn't feeling the greatest, I wanted people to know how important it was and that the ACA was taking care of me and that people need to have Medicaid expansion. And uh, I went to a senator's office and told him that, hey, I'm, I'm making it. I'm going to survive this. I'm going to beat cancer because of the Affordable Care Act. And he looked at me and said that I didn't deserve to have the ACA. He said that to my face. <laughs> I, st- I, I mean, I laugh about it because I'm like, does he even, did he even re- realize that I had chemotherapy just that day before and that I had a wig on that I was getting ready to like shove it in his face? <laughs> it was very frustrating. So y- you suffered a miscarriage. You sort of opted out of insurance because you were very upset and it sounds like um, between that event and you getting breast cancer your uh, friend passed away from breast cancer Mm -hmm. right is that what motivated you to get on uh, the ACA to join that healthcare exchange well I knew I needed health insurance regardless no matter what you know so the the fact that in um, 2014 that the ACA became law and it was affordable was a godsend. Um, but there were so many things that um, brought me to the point of getting politically active. Um, one is my husband's family as a deep roots in labor. And ironically, (laughs) at uh, our last family reunion, we sang the song Solidarity Forever. It's on video. It's on my website. So um, his 
Tom's grandfather was one of the original organizers of the AFL-CIO back in the 1930s. So, yes, we are a huge labor family, and so that was another reason that I decided to get involved. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, Medicaid, the Medicaid program in, in Missouri. It, what's on deck for next year's legislative session? We've seen kids, we've seen people getting kicked off of Medicaid. Um, what's on deck? How do we, you know, I know that there's this ballot initiative to expand Medicaid. Is that likely? Um, what do you see as a lawmaker? Well, I see an enormous push for Medicaid to be on the 2020 um, ballot, which is wonderful because I think us as a state, we've proven time and time again that we as a state, we're more progressive than what, than what uh, some people think we are, just like the fact that we passed medical marijuana, we passed uh, Clean Missouri with 67% of the vote, and I think we will trend in that same fashion with Medicaid expansion. So you believe that there's this, there's support from it from constituents? Is that what you're hearing in your district? Yes. Um, I uh, started knocking on doors when session was over, and um, I had to ha- take a little break because I had surgery myself on my foot, so I couldn't really knock on doors. But when I was able to, um, that is what's on people's mind is health care. They want health care that's quality and affordable, quality, affordable health care. And I, I would say 75, at least 75 to 80% of the people that I talk to, if I bring up Medicaid expansion, absolutely want to see that happen because they want to see their brothers and sisters in the state being taken care of. We are going to take a break to hear a message from our sponsor, and we'll be back with Representative Applebaum after this message. And we're back with Representative LaDonna Applebaum. I have a question because you're such a new legislator. Okay. What what was like the most unexpected thing that ha- about this experience about being in Jefferson City last session? Well, I had been to Jefferson City a few times, but I had never really paid attention to what happens on the floor. I call it the opera. Um, you you never refer to someone on the floor by their actual name. You you refer to them by the gentleman from St. Louis City or the gentle lady from Greene County. Um, you never say Representative Clemens or Representative S- Smith or whatever. You You call them by their county or the area that they live in. And the other thing that I, I call the opera on the floor is the way we introduce um, a bill or we introduce an amendment. There's a, a, a procedures for that. And I guess I just didn't really ex- expect it to be so operatic, if that's a word. <laughs> One of the bills you sponsored would have required teachers and principals to complete two hours of suicide prevention each school year. I just wanted to hear a little bit more uh, from you about why that bill was important to you. I believe that we have a suicide epidemic among young people 
uh, for several reasons, whether it's um, an opioid crisis or um, a gun uh, epidemic, gun violence epidemic. Um, But I just feel like that one of the reasons that I wanted to sponsor that bill is to to help the children and help our families in Missouri. It's it's really, really sad that a child will turn to suicide. And if we have teachers and principals and, and people that work in our school system get educated on knowing the the signs of what it looks like for someone to be depressed or or sad or you know basically both and and notice those signs and be able to reach out to them and prevent that I think it's so worth it and I really hope that the school systems in um, in the state of Missouri will recognize that and hopefully I can get this bill heard Full disclosure, I was a former teacher, a former high school history teacher. A lot of my family members are teachers. My stepmom is currently a teacher, as well as both of my sisters. Um, So I've heard it all um, in terms of what teachers are required to do. And I assume you probably ran into some of this when you were sponsoring the bill about more requirements for teachers. They already do so much. Um, So... Why does that fall to the teachers and the principals? Is that because they see the kids every day, or why? Yeah. Why would this be a requirement for them? Yeah, I um, of course it's like you know your school the, when you go to school, your teachers and your principals and your counselors they're almost like a second family. I would say because they see you every day, they see you the same times every day. They're going to notice your habits, your patterns, and. Um, I feel like that that is, you know, maybe even more so than a mom or a dad or a sister or brother. They see you. They see you with with your friends and how you react, and um, so I think that is a. Re- I think it's a responsibility. I mean, why wouldn't why wouldn't you want to take that on? Is is the question I have for someone who may be reluctant? Why? wouldn't you want to prevent a child from committing suicide? Going back to some of the legislation that I I saw that you'd sponsored, there was one that required DHSS to create uh, rules consistent with the CDC for prescribing opioids. One of the things I found fascinating coming to Missouri was that there is no PDMP um, to monitor when doctors are prescribing opioids to people. Um, Missouri, I believe, is the only state in the nation that doesn't have a PDMP. Um, Nationally, we've seen um, deaths surrounding opioids decline, but in Missouri, uh, they are, it it is still increasing. What's next? Again, that that was one of your bills. It, It didn't manage to go anywhere, but is this push for a PDMP still going to be present in the in the legislature next year? And how do you get more support for that? And I would say the politically speaking audience is, is very well educated, but we might want to explain what a PDMP is. Yes, I will be happy to. Um, 
Prescription Drug Monitoring Program. That's what that stands for. And you're correct. We are the only state in the union that does not have a statewide prescription drug monitoring program. We have it in St. Louis County, in St. Louis City, Kansas City, Springfield, Missouri. Um, and I also believe in Columbia, but it's some of the rural areas that do not have it. And that's the problem. Um, people can go to a um, a pharmacy and get a, you know get opioids and they can go to another pharmacy and get more and they can sell them in the parking lot. So I really feel that Missouri can get this passed. I, I really feel like that we can. We, we did pass it in the House. It just did not pass in the Senate. And um, I, I feel that's sad because the reason it didn't pass in the Senate is because they were concerned that people's guns would be taken away, which is another problem we have in the state. But um, I think if we can eliminate um, the thought that it's going to somehow affect people's gun ownership, that we can get it passed. We just need to get our... Um, I guess maybe our senators uh, better educated. It seemed that a lot of lawmakers had concerns simply with another government list type situation where people's names would be on a list that the federal government may have access to. Is that totally off base or, or was that something that was heard throughout um, the session? No, I, I agree with you. That's that's the reason it did not pass in the Senate. Just exactly what you said. Okay, I just wanted to make sure, okay. um, because I haven't been there. I haven't seen uh, a full session, so I was curious as to um, some of the reasoning behind it, but in, it, it's interesting to hear that. Well, welcome to Jeff City. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Can you explain the connection between, why people are drawing a connection between being on a list or, or opioid, you know, tracking of opioid medication and gun ownership? Me personally, I don't see the connection. Right. I, I'm sorry. I'm asking you to articulate maybe the <laughs> some of the opposition. I, you know, I'm not in their minds. I, 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 I honestly do not understand where they get that from. Uh, I almost feel like it's some type of conspiracy theory, possibly, that they would think that the two would be connected, where you know, helping. The people in our state would somehow take their guns away. It does not make sense to me. But like I said, I'm not in their head. As I remember, it's like if they don't, if they end up on this list, this do not sell list that some people are concerned, then they're going to end up on a do not sell guns list. Is that is that right? I think it's if you have, if you are taking certain medications it's like a mental health issue, which we should be concerned with. Obviously, we should be concerned on who gets to purchase guns if they have mental health issues. But not every mental health issue should keep you from owning a gun. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, <laughs> but I play one on the radio. I'm just kidding. So offline, you made an interesting comment about lobbying influence in Jefferson City. Can you talk about what 
impact do you think lobbyists have in Jefferson City? And has that changed, you think, since Clean Missouri? I know you've only been through one session, so. Yes, I, like I said, I've had one session, so I don't have anything to compare it to. But to me, it feels like the lobbyists do not have the power that they may have had previously before Clean Missouri was passed. And I'm happy with that. I feel good about that um, because I don't want someone putting something over my head or over someone across the aisle's head on what's important. We should be doing it on what's right for Missouri and not what's in the special interest. So you're on you're on a committee that oversees health care issues. Mm-hmm. Do, what type of interactions do you have with lobbyists on those issues? I also sit on the insurance committee as well. So health and mental health and the insurance. I think probably more people have tried to talk me into supporting um, short-term insurance plans. Um, that's probably been what more lobbyists have talked to me about than any other issue. Um, and because of the insurance plan that I had when I miscarried, it was so similar that I cannot support the short-term insurance policies. Just cannot do it. Can you explain what a short-term in insurance policy is? I wish I could. Um, <laughs> no. Um, Maybe that's I'll, part of the problem. <laughs> it, it is. It's part of the problem. Short-term insurance policies basically are catastrophic uh, coverage. Basically, if you have a heart attack while you're driving down the road, you can go to the hospital and you'll get taken care of. But if you have a short-term insurance policy and you find out you're pregnant, no, you're not covered. So that's scary because people think, oh, I've got insurance, you know, I'm, I'm taken care of. And that's not the fact. Representative, what are you planning, what are you working on uh, in, in anticipation of the next session? Do you know what types of legislation you're going to introduce or what issues you might be involved with? Well, um, a hot topic right now for me is um, for the environment. Um, I am I'm definitely want to, I'm, I'm really concerned about what's happening with Mother Earth in, in our what's happening globally. It's scary, um, but all things considered, we can do things locally all the way up to federally to make changes in our, in our environment. And I want to give a shout out to Edwardsville, Illinois, for what, they, what they're doing just so simply with, with plastic bags and paper bags. They're going to tax them. It's so easy just to go to the grocery store with your own reusable bags. And um, so if I could do anything in the legislature in 2020, it would be to um, stiffen penalties for people that litter. It's a big pet peeve of mine. So I would like to, uh, like people throwing stuff out of their windows, especially cigarette butts, really, really, I think we should have a fine for that. Representative Applebaum, where can people find you on the World Wide Web? At LaDonnaForMissouri.com. Gotcha. Do you have a Twitter handle? 
Oh, geez, I don't tweet, but my legislative assistant does for me. But uh, no, don't <laughs> find me on Twitter. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I have a Facebook page, LaDonna for Missouri. <laughs> okay, I'm Julie O'Donohue, and you can find me on Twitter at JS O'Donohue. Where we, can we find you, Jacqueline? Driscoll NPR. You can read our stories at stlpublicradio.org. Thanks so much. Thank you.